0: If you could choose to bring someone back from the dead, one person back from the dead, who would you pick? My guess is that the younger that you are or the more, or the less death that you've had to deal with in your life, probably the more important a person is going to be like to the world, right? And you're gonna pick uh, maybe somebody who can fix our problems or move us forward. You're gonna pick like George Washington or you're gonna pick Albert Einstein or Norman Borlaug or Linnaeus or something like that, right? Uh, you're gonna pick somebody who could help, who is important, who we miss as, a, as an earth. I think that maybe the more death you go through though in your life, maybe the more that you personally lose, personally sacrifice, the more personal maybe that selection would become. And that you'd pick somebody not necessarily because they were important to the world, but because they were important to you. And you just would like the chance to hang with them again. But regardless, our criteria for making that selection are probably going to be based on one of those two things. How important were they to the world and how important were they to us? And that's one of the things that makes our verses today so incredibly striking. This is the first time that Jesus is busting out the biggest of miracles that he performs on other people, the most astonishing of them and it 's been a long ramp up let 's face it so far uh, he 's had plenty of miracles, and the miracles are impressive don 't get me wrong, but as i 've said in the past, you know changing water to wine, making many fish out of a few fish that 's not going to get you on the Avengers, but now, all of a sudden. The powers become really pronounced. They become really big. And actually, when we join Jesus in our text today, he's just been on kind of a spree where people have been asking him to help him or help them in more and more dramatic fashions. And each time he's been agreeing and helping them. It's been quite an astonishing run. And now we get to this one. There's no request made of him. And he just approaches, and he performs this incredible miracle. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 7. We'll read verses 11 to 17. You can uh, follow along uh, if you're able on the uh, side there. Now, it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gates of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and into the surrounding region. Now, i got to be honest with you, I read this miracle, and it's a little bit difficult to not feel just the the tiniest bit gypped. Like, I know about the generosity of God, and I know the things that he's won for us, but talk about a miracle that took place uh, in the here and now. I mean, un- unbe- it's an undoubtedly nice thing to do, but it definitely throws into contrast some of those times in my own life where I could have used the busting out of a gigantic miracle of this nature, and it didn't happen. Honestly, sometimes when you read the Bible, you you kind of... Get this feeling, it's maybe a little bit easy to feel like uh, you've been left out by the events that have been recorded there. But you know, let's consider what happened here in the light of the criteria that we just established for who it is that, we, that should be brought from the dead. Important to the world, important to us. Because this man that Jesus brought back from the dead, do you know who we grew up to be? Nobody. He was completely unimportant. He was a blip on human history. There's no information about the Bible, what happened to him. There's no information outside the Bible, what happened to him. We don't even have any strong history or tradition uh, about uh, where he went. As far as we know, he went on and he was a great goat milker. And he, he was the, he, his, his big accomplishment was that he had the best non-goat milking related story around the campfire uh, when they would swap stories. He was an utterly insignificant, <laughs> totally unimportant blip. What made this guy worthy of God's attention? What m- made him worthy of life after death? There was nothing about them. Even if you had the Konami code for life, and you could infinitely provide as many people as you want with 30 uh, uh, extra chances uh, uh, over the course of their existence, right? Wouldn't, even if you could do this forever, wouldn't you at least pick the people who are most important to you to give that to first? Wouldn't there be a kind of an order in there where you're like, okay, I, if, if I don't raise great-grandma first, I am never going to hear the end of it, and that's going to be a long time because I'm giving her 30 lives, right? You're going to at least start with the people who matter most, who are most dear to you. And he picks this guy whose name we don't even know, who as far as we can tell did nothing for this world, who as far as we can tell had no connection to Jesus whatsoever, as astonishing as this miracle of bringing somebody back from the dead is, the fact that he chose to do it here in Nain to this nobody is maybe the most astonishing part of the entire thing. Jesus looked at this widow and her son, and he took pity on them for exactly the same reason that he looks at and takes pity On us because without him they had no hope and without him we have no hope. Jesus chose this sad but let's face it small family circumstance to demonstrate that he was who he claimed to be. Even at the time of his most astonishing miracle, He chose to deliver it in a humble, common way. He showed in this that he had the power to restore the relationship with God that we lost in the fall. And not just restore it for the people who were important by our reckoning. Not just restore it to the people who were important by his reckoning. He showed us that we are all important in his mind. We talk so often about how God measures value differently than we do. But we really seldom see it ever writ this large, where he grants life to a nobody. We talk about uh, how God does everything for us and that uh, there's no action on our part that's required. Rarely do we see it so clearly as him coming over to somebody who's dead, taking them, stopping the coffin and lifting them up out of, the, uh, out of their grave, right? This was not something that this person had any ability to affect for themselves. It was 100% God. God measures value differently. With no other cause than that he loves you for no reason. He exchanged his son's life for your life and for my life, for the lives of of nobodies. God does everything for us. We were dead in our sins, on a slab, nothing that we could do for ourselves at all, and Jesus reached down, gave us faith, and picked us up again. We were doomed to live in a world of suffering, and God sent Christ into that world as a brother. To suffer exactly the same things that we suffer. We were doomed to pay a penalty for our lives and actions. And God put that penalty on Jesus instead and gave us the heavens that Jesus had earned. We were doomed to die. And God took all of that wrath out on His Son, pulling us off of our slabs just as surely. As he did for the widow of Nain. We were doomed to rot in the ground. But Jesus' resurrection shows us that we have empty tombs. We have an empty tomb like his. We have an empty tomb like the nameless kid in our text. All of the events through this text, Jesus did without anyone asking. This was all on his part. The widow was too grief-bound. The son was too dead. It was all Jesus who went with this. Now, like I said, this follows on the uh, heels of a bunch of other miracles uh, where people had asked things of Jesus. And in this one, it demonstrates, well, he knows what's best for us and he does what's best for us even without us asking. But sometimes when we harp on that fact a little bit too hard, we can kind of develop this like fatalistic attitude. We, we don't ask God as frequently as we uh, are invited to. Uh, for things concerning our lives, uh, we worry and stress. Well, what if the thing I'm, not, I'm asking about him is not necessarily in line with his will and he's got such a better view of what's going on in my life and I know I'm going to ask for something stupid and as soon as I ask for it, something different's going to happen anyway so I may as well just turn it all over to him. We can develop this sort of like weird fatalism uh, when we are really throwing ourselves on God's mercy. But I want to encourage you, still ask, still come before God. My uh, daughter, she's four, and uh, it was February, the end of February. You might remember it as right before the end of the world, right? And uh, so... She had just heard about this coronavirus thing, and weirdly, even though my wife and I did not realize this was going to be a huge deal yet, she kind of just intuitively realized that if she's four and she's heard of a disease, it's probably going to be a big deal. And she got scared quickly. So she sat down and she drew a sign for us to put on the door. I had to help her with some of the letters, but she wrote, no coronavirus allowed. And then she drew a picture of her standing in stick looking very stern. i had never seen her draw a full frowny face on a stick figure before, but there she was. She wanted to draw herself with crossed arms, but it just came out as like the arms sticking directly out to the side. And uh, I thought this was really a fun thing. And, uh, uh, but we had to spend a, a couple weeks apart. I had some uh, work down here. And she uh, uh, was with my in-laws up in St. Cloud. And we were Skyping together. We were Zooming. Not Skyping. Nobody does that. Uh, we were Zooming uh, together. And uh, I wanted to show my in-laws this picture that she had made. So I ran downstairs. I pulled it off of the front door. I brought it up and I showed it. My daughter was sitting there. And immediately, when she saw that I was showing that picture, she burst into tears. Now, at first, I thought that it was because uh, I had defaced her artwork by removing it from the door. But then, very quickly, I realized she thought that that sign on the door was keeping me safe. That coronavirus was seeing the sign, and that it wasn't keep coming inside, and that that sign was the thing that was protecting her daddy from harm. She wasn't upset for herself. She was scared because she thought that now I might get sick. How stupid, right? I mean, come on. Coronavirus isn't going to read the sign. Give me a freaking break. Oh my goodness. At least I still have one daughter who might be college material, but... Now, obviously, I don't feel that way, right? And the reason that that sounds obnoxious and bizarre is because no father talks about his child that way, and it's not true anyway, right? That sign did make a difference. It made a huge difference. It makes a difference to me now. It's hard for me to not get a little bit choked up thinking about how much my daughter cared about me that she would feel so concerned when uh, the sign came down. And let's be real, it actually had some impact on how I operated in my life too, right? I see that sign coming in. I'm probably going to wash my hands a little better. I'm going to remember to wash the kids' hands a little bit better. It changes some of my priorities a little bit. It informs how I think. It informs how I comfort. It informs how I interact with her. That sign might not have had her intended purpose of warding off the coronavirus, but it certainly did have an effect. And it would be purely ignorant for me to say it had no effect on keeping us healthy. I think it has. God tells you to pray. He has your best interests in mind. He has a full scope of eternity. And He tells you that your prayers matter. We are God's children. And when we bring something before Him, even if it is useless, even if it is utterly tangential, even if it's meaningless in the grand scheme of things, He's our Father. And it matters to him, and it does make a difference. You matter to God so much that even though he knows your needs better than you do, knows how to fill those needs better than you do, he wants you to speak openly and honestly and freely without any reservation in prayer anyway. When it comes to the matter of what matters in God's eyes, What's important in his eyes? Eyes that take in the scope of all humans and all things in the universe. Ultimately, it's a very simple answer. We do. Amen.